Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, it's too good to be true. That's the series we're in today, and we're talking about one of the gifts that God gives us that sounds too good to be true, but it's not too good to be true. Before we do that, a couple of things I want to inform you about or remind you of. Coming up here uh, in the next few weekends, first off, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a good crowd in the room and a lot of people watching us online as well. Um, So next weekend, I'm thrilled to be able to let you know that we have as our special guest speaking in all three um, services next Sunday morning, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York, Jim Simbola, will be our special guest next weekend here at First Baptist Orlando. He and Pastor David are friends, and over the last uh, several months, uh, he's been communicating regularly with David and been a big encouragement to him. And so uh, they were talking about this series, and, and Pastor Simbola has a message that's part of our series, uh, Too Good to Be True, on hope that's just for us. And uh, I encourage you to be here next weekend, next Sunday, to hear Jim Simbola. Then the following weekend is Labor Day. That's September 6th. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We do that once every few months, and it's going to be on September 6th. Uh, Pastor David and I together will do that uh, weekend, Uh, both be participating in the service. If you're here live with us, we'll have a contactless way for you to participate. If you're at home watching us on September 6th, uh, let me encourage you to be ready for the Lord's Supper and gather the elements and set a place for that. Many of you did that when we did it a few months ago. It was really neat to see the way you uh, set it up and uh, we're encouraging you to do that again to participate in the Lord's Supper. That's September 6th, Labor Day weekend. And then the 13th, Uh, uh, Sunday the 13th is Welcome Back Weekend, we're calling it. It's Pastor David's first weekend to be preaching uh, since his accident. So we'll look forward to uh, hearing him on the 13th. So that's coming up the next three weekends. Don't want to miss a weekend at First Baptist Orlando. Make sure you're here either live or from the comfort of your own environment. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 18. We're going to be looking today at an interaction uh, between Pilate, uh, the governor, Uh, of that area and Jesus in a conversation that they had. John chapter 18, I'm gonna read verses 33 through 38. You can follow along in your Bible or device or it'll be on the screen as well if you wanna do it that way. I'll read aloud and uh, you follow along. John 18, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Today, we're gonna look at the gift that God gives us that seems too good to be true, 
And it is the gift of truth. Pilate asked this question, what is truth? Another way you could say that same question is what is true? Pilate was asking, he's the governor of the region and he's asking what is true? I think many are asking that same question today. That Greek word for truth means an unveiled reality. It's like the the imagery of opening a gift, seeing something that's there and seeing what's really there. Pilate wanted to know, hey, unwrap the gift. Tell me what's really true. Today, there's more confusion and chaos in our culture than I can, maybe in our world, than I can ever remember. Everybody seems to want to pick their own truth. I like what that person's saying. I like what I hear there. I like what this says. Everybody wants to pick their own truth. Jesus said in this passage, I have come to reveal truth. I've come to bear witness of truth. Heard about a little boy whose dad gave him a compass. A compass has a, a, a north, a true north. The way a compass works, if you don't know, is that there's a, a magnetic draw to the North Pole. And so when you have a compass, the, the, the magnetic draw is drawing the, the indicator towards the north. So you can always know which direction's north and then you can or, orient yourself from that. And, and that's a, really a way, a metaphor for truth. Some people call it truth is a true north, that you know what, what is true, you know what is right because it never changes. It's not different every day. It's always the same. North is always the north. So what is true north? Well, this little boy got a compass like this. His dad was teaching him how to use it and, and what it's for and how to use it if he got lost. And the little boy was frustrated and, and mad. And he came back to his dad and gave it to him and said, I don't like the compass. He said, why not? He says, because my compass never points where I want to go. <laughs> I think sometimes that's what's going on in our worlds today. Our compass never points where we want to go instead of us relying on what true north is. And we need true north. We need a compass because feel and real are two different things. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it is. We need to distinguish between feel and real. Lisa Turker says feelings are indicators, not dictators. And we need true north. We need truth. Francis Schaeffer said, if you, if you don't have truth, it's like having both feet firmly planted in midair. There's no stability. We need truth. The risk if we don't have truth is we believe everything or we just believe the last thing that we heard, constantly changing. And Jesus said in John 18, 37, in this passage, he said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I've come to reveal to you what is true. Because of Jesus, we have truth. Because of Jesus, we actually have. In fact, Jesus said, what did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He came to bear witness, to show us truth. Like the way David often says, Pastor David says, all truth is God's truth. Sometimes we're wondering who's telling the truth, and the reality is We shouldn't judge truth by who says it, but by what is said. And all truth belongs to God. In fact, there's a story in the Bible that a donkey spoke and spoke the truth, an animal. So even a donkey can tell the truth and it's truth if it's God's truth. And you know, many people quote children 
speak truth. All truth is God's truth. And we can trust what the Bible teaches us because it's truth. We can trust what Jesus tells us. Because of Jesus, we have truth. And without truth, there's hopelessness. There's fear. There's uncertainty. If you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get where you want to go and you you have no compass, you have no moral guidance, you have no truth, there's hopelessness and fear and uncertainty. And with truth comes freedom. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Because when you rely on a compass and if you know how to use a compass, you can get anywhere because you know how to follow what the compass is telling you. Because of Jesus, we have truth. But not only that, because of Jesus, we can know truth. It's one thing to have truth. It's a little more important to know truth. Truth exists and we can know it. It's important to know truth. Over the past few days, I was praying through this message and really began to sense rather than just talk about the the necessity for truth and the validity of truth that really it's about what is it that is true. In this, in our scriptures, in this book, there are, I don't know, hundreds, thousands, millions of truth. I don't know how many there are. They're innumerable how many truths there are for us, principles we can live by and guidelines for us, lots of truth. But it got me to thinking, like, what are the truths that are the most centering and the most helpful? And I keep going back to over and over again. It reminded me of a story. My friend Ken Davis is a comedian, travels around the country speaking and doing programs. I used to work with him, and so I would see him in these settings. He used to tell a story about um, becoming a pilot. He was a private pilot. I flew with him in a lot of places around the country. And and when he was learning how to fly a small plane, um, they, you know, teaching him, they tell him, listen, you can't go in the clouds because it's dangerous in the clouds. You can't go in the clouds. So you always wonder, so why can't I go in the clouds? They look so fun and so beautiful, right? And why can't I go in the clouds? And they, no, you can't go in the clouds. You need to have a different rating to go in the clouds. You can't go in the clouds. And, and Ken's a little edgy kind of rebellious guy anyway. And so he just felt like, well, I bet they don't know how good of a pilot I am. I can, I can try this and see. So one day he went up and he, he just took one wing and put it a little bit in the cloud and nothing happened. And the next time he went another direction, he put another wing in the cloud and nothing happened. And so the next time he was flying, he said, this time I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the real thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a big cloud and I'm gonna go straight into that cloud and I'm gonna experience everything they've been trying to keep away from me. And sure enough, he waited till the weather was right and he got up in his plane and, and he found the cloud and he went into the cloud, he went. And he said, when it was his most beautiful thing, it just, everything whites out. You can't see anything. Everything is just gone. And he said, there was a pencil on the seat next to him. And he's just, you can't see anything. It's just all white. And all of a sudden, this pencil starts floating. He's like, wow, that's so cool. You go in a cloud and pencils start to float. That's why they didn't want me to do this. That's so cool. And then a second later, it goes whack to the ceiling of the plane. Wow, look at that. It's amazing. And then it starts coming down again and back up to the top and down again and back up to the top and down again. And about that time, he comes out of the clouds and he's upside down. 
Because when you're in the clouds in an airplane and all you're doing is relying on what you can see and feel, you you lose all your sensations of reality. And you can actually be sideways or upside down and not realize it. And Ken was not instrument rated to be able to fly. So you know what they do to teach you to fly through clouds? They, They teach you how to fly looking at the cockpit only, looking only at these instrument panel. And when you look only at these, the fact they, when they test you for it, they put put something so you can't see outside the window or sometimes they actually block the wind with the windshield. You can't even see out the windshield. Everything you rely on is just the instrument panel. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's kind of what I want to know. So what's, what's on my instrument panel? What am I relying on? When things are really good, how do I keep centered? And when things are really hard, how do I make sure that I'm I'm focused where I need to be and I'm centered. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about five truths that are what I would call my instrument panel. They're, they're the truths that center me and anchor me. Now, it's my list. Uh, you probably could come up with a different list. It happens to be my turn to be up here today, so we're going to look at my list. But, but it, this isn't authoritative. Uh, the Bible doesn't say here are the top five or anything like that, so it's okay if you have different ones. If after I'm done with the list I give you, if there's some of them that you say, well, I have a one that's better for me, that's great for you too. The important thing is that you know what your instrument panel is and that you know what those truths are. And so we're gonna go through these five truths that we can count on, that for me are a guiding and securing truth. Number one, God is love. God is love. He provides redemption, he pursued us, he loves us extravagantly. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See that it says with the great love that he loved us. It's, he pursued us and he offered redemption, not because he was frustrated with us, not because he was angry with us, even Jesus' own words, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is love. The most defining word for God is love. God is love. Number two, Jesus is Lord. There is no one else, as we were singing about earlier, there is no other person who walked on this earth and is alive today that walked out of the grave. Jesus is Lord. Do you know what he's saying in this passage? He said, he has a kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of the world. If he has a kingdom, he's a king. And nobody but Jesus walked out of the grave. Jesus walked out of the grave and he is Lord. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says that twice, actually. He also, in the last time he says it, my kingdom is not from this world. So what does he mean? Of this world means there's, there's no connection to it. From this world means he didn't originate there. But it's not like he's saying, I don't want anything to do with you because in the next verse when he says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, that word purpose is, is a term that means what he's leaning towards or what he's aiming at. And so on the one hand, he's saying, I'm not from the world and I'm not of the world, but I'm for the world. 
and I'm going towards the world. He is one who came towards us and for us. And he lives today. Number one, God is love. Number two, Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve one who is Lord. Number three, suffering is sure. Suffering is sure. Can I tell you that of all of the truths that we're gonna talk about today, this is the one that people wrestle with the most. In fact, many, if not most, of the people who walk away from church or walk away from their faith or get disenfranchised with their faith happens because their version of Christianity has this, uh, this version that says there shouldn't be suffering and all, all things should have a, a pleasant conclusion that, that suffering isn't, isn't gonna happen. And that's not the gospel that, that Jesus taught about. In fact, in John 16, Jesus himself said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, what does he say? You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, he was acknowledging. In fact, do you know he even said there in this passage, he said, if, if my kingdom was of this world, if this was the world that mattered to me, if this was my world and I was in charge, my servants would have fought you and you would not have been able to arrest me. So even Jesus himself was saying, there is suffering and somehow there is suffering because God is not intervening and I am not intervening to relieve the suffering. If your version of faith is resting on a foundation that excludes the global reality of a connection between sin and suffering, your faith probably won't endure. And I'm not talking just about personal sin. We all know personal sin, personal consequence, but I'm talking about global sin bringing global suffering. We can't pray it away, obey it away, or faith it away. Not every situation ends well. Our faith cannot be resting on the ideal of a trouble-free, pain-free, corruption-free life. But we don't follow a version of Christianity that teaches that all stories have a good ending because we know that in this life, they don't. It's a mystery if and when God intervenes in the affairs of man and when he does not do so. In this story, he did not intervene. And many times in our life, he does not. He set things into motion at creation. And God's most common posture is accompanying us, not rescuing us. That doesn't mean he never does, but evil and suffering prevail in this world. And it's only possible because God is not rescuing us or acting to relieve or overcome evil and suffering. In the same way that Jesus could have overcome those that came to arrest him that day, God can overcome any evil that exists today, but he rarely does because his kingdom is not of this world. And yes, there is spiritual discipline for believers that plays a part, but that's distinct from what we're talking about. I, we don't describe to the idea that God causes suffering in order to accomplish his plans. It's not that he never does or can't, but he usually doesn't. In God's design, 
None of us suffered in God's design, but we're not living in the design of God. We're, uh, his kingdom is not of this world. That's what Jesus said. We are living in the brokenness of man and the reign of Satan. And Jesus is quoted by John, this same author, as saying that Satan is a liar and a murderer. And when sin came in the door, death, suffering, evil, pain, and corruption walked in as well. I like the way Andy Stanley says it. The fact is that when sin entered the world, it held the door open for sorrow, death, illness, and despair. They snuck in right behind sin. When sin entered the world, death came in along with it. It's a harsh reality, but our faith is not resting on an everything ends well gospel. That is not our version of Christianity. Our version of Christianity said they're suffering, but compared to the future glory that's coming our way, we're gonna be okay. And it's important that we understand that truth. Otherwise, when suffering comes, we're demoralized. Or even when we see suffering, oftentimes that's the hardest reality to explain to people as they come to Christ. If, if God is love, then why do people suffer? It's because there's sin in the world and Satan is a liar and a murderer. He wants to kill us, and confuse us. Number four, God is good. Yeah, their suffering is sure, but God is good. God is kind, he's gentle, he's loving. He's abounding in love is what the word said. Psalm 145, verse nine, uh, eight and nine says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God wants only the best for us. He always has pure motives. He's caring and kind. He's the giver of all good gifts. Things are going really well for you right now. God is good. Things are really hard for you right now. Your God is good. His motives are pure. He only wants the best for you. God is good. In the midst of our suffering or in times of joy, in times of abundance, in times of scarcity, we know that the goodness of God sustains us. Truth number five, life is short. James says, you, uh, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring or what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Some translations say a vapor. In comparison to eternity, the life that we have on this earth is just a blink, it's just a vapor, it's just a mist, it's almost nothing. And life is short. Sometimes when things are going really good for me, I need to remember, hey, don't get too caught up in how good things are today because this, this is not what you're living for. You're living for something way better than this, way longer than this. When things are going really hard, really challenging, I gotta remember, hey, this is short, it's gonna, compared to what's coming, I'm gonna be okay. When I was a little boy, my dad would take us fishing. We lived in Miami, we had a 16 foot boat. He would take us fishing out of Miami to the Gulf Stream. It's a little 16 foot boat and we'd go to the uh, Gulf Stream. And when you hit the Gulf Stream, it's kind of rocky and wavy. And I don't know how the waves would be, but it was really big for a little boy, I can tell you that. And 
and I didn't want to get seasick because my dad never got seasick. And so it's manly not to get seasick, I used to think. Well, I can tell you, men get seasick too, by the way. But then I would, I would, Dad, I don't want to get seasick. What do I do? And he'd say, well, don't, the best thing you can do is don't look down. Don't look down in the boat. Don't keep focused on right where we are, but get your head up and look to the horizon. The better view you have of the horizon, the more you're looking out and up and, and your head is up, the less likely you are to get sick. I've used that principle in life as well. Again, sometimes when things are going good, I get so caught up on what's happening and this is so great and I lose perspective and, and I have to get my head up and say, hey, this is, this is not what it's all about. It doesn't end here. There's something way better and make sure I'm focused on the horizon, on what's coming one day. And sometimes it's because of pain and difficulty and terrible tragedy and death and corruption and hate and lying and divorce and all the negative and evil things that the devil wants to do to us. And I can be so consumed in the pain and the negativity and all the hurt. I have to get my head up and say to myself, hey, compared to the future glory, these present sufferings are nothing compared to what's coming for us. I can endure. I got to get my head up. Life is short in comparison. So there are five. God is love, Jesus is Lord, suffering is sure, God is good, and life is short. Truths that we can know, but not only can we know, but we should share. Because of Jesus, we should share truth. All of us are in a place where we can share truth with somebody else. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, maybe even it's somebody that's a believer just walking through a challenging season, or maybe they've just lost their equilibrium. Maybe, maybe the, the, the windshield's been whited out by the clouds around them for some reason, and they've lost their perspective, and they need to be reorient themselves to the, to the instrument panel, and they need to see again where they're going and what's happening in life. And, or maybe it's for the first time they've never been introduced to the truth of Jesus Christ, and they need to, for the first time, be introduced. We want to encourage you as we move towards September. What we're asking you to do, anybody in here can participate. You don't have to be a Bible teacher. That's not what it is. A facilitator is all it is to, to convene people around stories of hope that will give hope to everybody. And just examining what the story says and how it can relate to each one of us. But it's you who have to do it because you have the influence. You have the relationships Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, co-students, other students in your school, wherever you are, let me encourage you as we get closer and closer to September, find a way to do it. Matthew's gonna tell you at the end of the service how you can find out more information, but how would we know this truth and not share it with somebody else? Because some people are walking through things that they need people to share the truth with them. They're just like Pilate in a scene saying, what is true? Stacy Thacker is a member of our church. She, uh, she's a Bible teacher and an author, and uh, she helps us uh, every week with our message prep. She's a part of the session where we're studying the Bible together. A few years ago, Stacy's husband, Mike, uh, had a 
a health incident that nearly took his life. And for several weeks or months, he was in intensive care. And during that season, Stacy wasn't really sure if he was going to survive or not. None of us knew. And, and he has survived. He's doing okay today. But there was a season there that she really didn't know if he was going to make it. And they have, I think, four daughters. And during that season of thinking through how she would manage life without Mike and all the pressures of him being in the hospital, a lot of uncertainty. You know what? Stacy was in a situation where the windshield was all whited out. And she wasn't sure exactly where to look for help. And this week we were exchanging emails back and forth talking on this subject because we had talked about it earlier in the week together. And one of the emails she wrote me really um, resonated with me. And I want to read to you what she wrote. God is good, life is hard. When Mike was in ICU, something was driven home to me that was that life is rarely one or the other, this side of heaven. They're usually intermixed. Rarely always hard, rarely only good. I remember getting a note from CeCe Owens, who's another member of our church also, that said it's really more like parallel lines, good and hard, both and. The difference, though, is that God is always good. Even when you can't see it in front of you or you have to look a little harder, God's goodness is always there. I think sometimes, though, we might be able to agree that God is good. What we don't believe it is that God is good to me. And that's why we need the truth of Scripture to see God being good over and over and over again. And that's why we need community to show up and remind us of God's goodness as they show us his kindness, his mercy, his grace, and his care. That certainly has been my case. Right at the point of my doubt, when the windshield was whited out, it was the solid truth of scripture and the truth in action by other believers that held me up. And scripture and other believers pointed Stacy to a hope that is a future hope, not a present one. And we can do the same. Let's pray. God, I ask, would you use us? Would you use us to spread truth in our networks and neighborhoods everywhere we are? Help us to be the people who take truth and share it around. God, I know today there are people who are listening who are experiencing very challenging times in their life right now. And I pray that you would draw near to them, that they would experience the truth of your love and your goodness like never before. I pray that they would understand your kindness and your mercy. I pray surround them with a body of believers, just like you did for Stacy, that they might know the truths and be reminded of the truths that we've talked about today. Thank you, God, for this wonderful story and the Jesus conversation with Pilate that gives us the encouragement today that he bore witness to the truth so we can have the truth today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, 
be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.